we believe that through getting Muslims to travel, we can actually bring peace. It's such a fun way, right? So to the Korean woman who has a seaside store selling good octopus, who has never seen a Muslim in her life and probably terrified, you know, I have many, many stories about that. They invite a Muslim to their store and, and the Muslims are very thankful that they actually have something to eat. And then, you know, they, they make a connection and that connection is priceless because for that woman, she realised that, hey, actually it's not so scary, you know, and we have tons and tons of these kind of stories, you know, all over the world. And that this is our vision itself to create a world where there is no difference between Muslims and non-Muslims and we respect each other and we do it through travel. If you're not lost, you're not much of an explorer. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the One Foot in the Sink podcast. My name is Anis and Foz is here. Hello everyone. And if it's halal, he will travel. It's Mikhail Go. Hi everyone, assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Hello my friends. Muslims. Muslim Lifestyle Podcast. What do you think the podcast is about? I think it's about Muslim because you put your foot in the sink when you do a do. It's about a story called the Ghostbusters. So first, do you get lost? No, I'm very organized. I always plan my trips. I know where I'm going. And yeah, so I'm not so much of an explorer. Yeah, I'm a tourist. I'm not much of an explorer. What about you, Mikhail? Do you intentionally get lost? You know, I, I definitely, you know, relish the experience to get lost. There's a quote from Lonely Planet, right? It says, to have truly experienced a place, you need to speak their language, eat their food, and you need to get lost. I think from every experience in that, right, it tells you a little bit about the place and tells you a little bit more about yourself. So definitely, I think it's a good thing to be lost. Of course, not so lost, you know, until you don't know where you, where you are and things like that. <laughs> I think I need to get lost. <laughs> <laughs> to find yourself, you know. So I just moved to a new city and uh, purposefully, I just drive around to new yeah. neighborhoods. And it's my way of trying to like, you know, find out different yeah. nooks and crannies of a city. It is, it is. You discover more, you know. And Instagram. Instagram helps as well, you know. Hashtag whatever city you're in to see what's happening. It's true, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's crack on with the show. Are you guys ready for the opening question? Yeah. Yeah, let's do this. All right, so this episode's opening question is, if you were a mayor of a city, what wild ideas would you implement to attract tourists? So I'll start with Foz first. Okay, so I've been listening to, um, I was listening to a podcast recently on my commute and I was start thinking about this question and how I would answer it. And the podcast was talking about all these future technologies. So they're looking at, you know, neural networks, um, quantum computing, then there's also augmented reality, then there's these self-driving cars. So there's so much going on and so much about to happen. I thought we're becoming so lazy and I thought it would be good to merge, have a bit of tech and have a city where you have to keep active. So I would merge both things and I would have like a playground kind of city but it's got all the tech stuff so if you want to go somewhere you can have hoverboards you can go places but if you're going to go in and eat somewhere you have to use the monkey bars to climb into the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> you have to climb over walls to get places you have to climb up ropes to climb up to things um, so you stay active and you can take advantage of the tech as well no one's coming to your city mate it sounds like the next <laughs> episode of like Black Mirror yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the only person oh, in the yeah, city the <laughs> it's going to be a deserted city no, mate, I'm going to have all the future tech watch yeah, <laughs> yeah. all by yourself 
Yeah. And a big budget. You you city council needs a big budget. Yeah, man. Yeah, they have the good they've got one. It's been approved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Mikhail? Well, the only thing that comes to my mind is really I'm a very big space fan, right? And you know, like two, three years ago in Singapore, where I'm based, you know, like I read this opinion piece. I can't remember whether it was an opinion piece or you know whether it was a uh, government released, but they actually mentioned that you know Singapore is a very uh, ideal space to actually launch satellites and build spaceports and things like that. If I were prime minister, mayor, whatever, I'd definitely go in the direction. And also. It, you know, it's my it's my belief that if we do not get wiped out, you know, before you know <laughs> the bugle calls and everything, I think we'll be somewhere in space. You know, so I think really yeah. Muslims have to start thinking about space when in an event where we are spacefaring nation and things like that. If we don't yeah. get all wiped out, you know, so so that's what I'm thinking, like, You know, have a space launch pad. That's amazing. Yeah. See, that's very similar to mine. Me and you could be next door. Yeah. So my city can be next door to your city, and then you go to your space pad. <laughs> yeah, that is. That is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think people will be visiting Mikhail's city more than yours first and they don't want to be going to monkey bars yeah, yeah well I love all the fitness fanatics yeah, you can have a bit of jetpacks and you would no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. they'll get they'll get the jetpacks from your city then come to my city yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, my my answer is completely opposite to you guys. It's not tech or related or anything like that. My answer is pretty simple. If I want to bring in the tourists, I'll have free ice cream for everybody. So my oh, city wow. have a policy of free ice cream. It can be healthy ice cream if there's such a thing, or the you know the unhealthy stuff. But everyone gets free ice cream. Like, in fact, ice cream will not be charged. You can go anywhere in where if you buy ice cream. Ice cream on the menu is free. Oh, so, you know, and ice cream makes everyone happy. So, why not? Yeah, they can come to my city, get fat, go to Foz's city, get sick, <laughs> and then me. go to your city, Mikhail, and just bugger off to space. <laughs> no, I'll definitely go there. You know, I love gelato. This is my, one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> okay. yeah. We've got lots of gelato stories. We've got a pact, me and Ys and uh, another friend. Whenever yeah. we travel together, where if we see a gelato place, we have to go in there buy gelato for everybody and then come out and if you see another one we have to go in there <laughs> I need to be part of your group man yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to do it I mean you would take a round and whose turn it is so Anise is next so next time we meet just for the record <laughs> <laughs> okay let's introduce you Mikhail uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show thank you thank you so much for inviting me yeah, it's good to have you on. So let me start by reading your profile. In 2015, you founded Have Halal World Travel, an online travel lifestyle platform for young Muslim travelers. Today, Have Halal World Travel is redefining the Muslim market with highly shareable travel and lifestyle content. In 2016, you embraced Islam, and since then you have been traveling and meeting Muslims across the world. Today on the show, we want to speak about traveling, your journey to Islam, and the story behind Havilal will travel. And of course, we're not going to let you leave without giving some insight into the latest traveling <laughs> trends and cool destinations. But before we jump into all of that, tell us a bit about yourself. Great, great, great. Uh, happy to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me again. So my name is Mikhail Go, and my surname, my Chinese surname is Go, G-O-H. So I'm a revert, you know. So in 2016, I converted. So it has something to do with what I'm doing now, which is Hefalover Travel. So this is actually my third company, Hefalover Travel. So before I was Muslim, you know, I dated my wife. Everything spiraled together, right? First, I met my wife in 2009. Then, you know, we started dating and everything. And she said, if you really want to be serious about me, 
you know, relationship, you have to learn Islam. I was like, okay, fine, you know, I'll just go and learn Islam. So, you know, in Singapore, I don't know about overseas, but in Singapore, you know, Islam is stands for like 25% of the population. And, you know, we're neighboring, neighboring countries, Malaysia and Indonesia, tons of Muslims there. So a lot of the indigenous Muslims actually speak Malay. I don't speak Malay or I speak Chinese and English and a bit of Japanese and things like that. So I had to find a place where I could learn Islam. So there was a Converse Association set up for people like me who can't speak Malay. It almost sounds like Professor X's uh, school for mutants. So I went there to study and I was surprised, you know, I met this Ustad who was a lawyer who spent some time in US and he had a very good international worldview for once in my life I felt it was like wow you know this is fresh I never knew such an old religion can be so instructive you know and I guess instructive is not the word but rather offer guidance in every single path in your life itself like even till the modern day you know so that started you know I, I started learning more and things like that and then I found that you know in 2016 I converted to Islam then I found that you know my world changed again you know it's like you know suddenly a lot of things that I used to be able to eat I couldn't you know my wife and her best friend you know Elaine we were all thinking you know like so what does this mean for me you know so a lot of things changed I couldn't eat the same things that I wanted to. So I thought, hey, you know, maybe more people are facing the same problems as me. Like, it's a bit more acute when I travel. So if I go to Hong Kong, I definitely have, have roast duck or dim sum and things like that. So we started to look for places all around the world where you can still travel as a traveler, you know, and eat the local delicacies. Like as I mentioned in the opening, right, you have to eat the local cuisine to truly understand what the place is and you speak the language and things like that. That first thing was difficult for me. So I was thinking, are there places around the world where, you know, I can still have authentic local food, but it's still halal? So our first experiment was actually halal local food in Hong Kong. I remember covering the dim sum and the roast ducks and everything like that. And we published it on Facebook and, you know, overnight there was tons of people flowing in. Back then, you know, although it was like 2016, 2015, right? The, the funny thing is that, you know, you get all these trade advisors and everything, but they don't really have content or rather, you know, it's fragmented, it's outdated for Muslims. We're wondering, could there be a high quality medium, right, for Muslims to find this kind of information? So we couldn't find anything, so we just did something on our own. So we grew, you know, bit by bit. And now I have to say we reach 9.1 million Muslims a month. You know, a lot of our followers are from Asia itself, but, you know, we got a sizable portion of people coming from UK, Middle East, you know, Africa, you know, all sorts of places. Mm. So yeah, that's that's a bit of how, you know, looking back, although it sounds like, you know, it's completely random, but there there seemed to be a path and a plan for me. You know, I met my wife. Then because I met my wife, I converted. And then I converted and I started this business, you know. And it all chained together in a beautiful, like, uh, plan, uh, you know, which I couldn't see at that time, you know. <laughs> yeah. Alhamdulillah, okay. Alhamdulillah, yeah. That's amazing. And just like what were, when you were going through that journey, you were learning about Islam, you know, what kind of things did you find surprised you the most? I guess I was really surprised by the fact that Islam isn't as violent as, you know, it seems. In 2016, when I, I relate to another story, right? So that was about the time that I converted. I can't remember, was it before or after? But I had a conversation with, uh, I was in Tokyo with my wife at that time. So we had like a lot of conversations. We had we had a meeting with like Fuji TV, you know, all the government bodies in, in Tokyo. And we were all around one round table in a halal Mongolian restaurant. It's the strangest thing on earth. And they said, you know, oh, uh, Mikhail, you are Muslim, so I will not drink. You know, so all of them had tea instead of their, their sake. So it was very strange for them also. Oh, yeah. But out of respect, they did that. And the Japanese are very nice, you know. So, so I remember at that point of time, it was the Paris bombing. It was a very big incident. It was the global issue. And then they mm-hmm. plucked up the courage, you know, you know, in the middle of the dinner to ask me, 
Mikhail, you know, you are Muslim. Can you explain to me why Muslims are killing non-Muslims? What is the hijab about? What is halal? Like, why do you live like that? You know, is Islam really that violent? So one of the things that struck me, right, was the immense dichotomous, you know, view of Islam. On one hand, you have people who practice the faith who see the true beauty, the peace, the harmony, you know, of Islam. And at the other end, you have people hating Islam because they don't have the right facts. Or they never ever met Muslims or they've been convinced by the media that they are like that. So at that point of time, I think, you know, it was a very strange feeling for me. I see so much beauty in Islam, but then again, I see so many people who don't really understand this beauty. So that was a turning point for me as well, for my business, you know, because we realized that we are not just a platform. The vision of the brand is, you know, and what we do every day and all my people who work here in, a, in my company, we believe that through getting Muslims to travel, we can actually bring peace. It's such a fun way, right? So to the Korean woman who has a seaside store selling good octopus, who has never seen a Muslim in her life and probably terrified. You know, I have many, many stories about that. You know. They invite a Muslim to their store and, and the Muslims are very thankful that they actually have something to eat. And then, you know, they, they make a connection. And that connection is priceless because for that woman, he real, she realized that, hey, actually it's not so scary, you know. Yeah. And we have tons and tons of these kind of stories, you know, all over the world. And that this is our vision itself. To create a world where there is no difference between Muslims and non-Muslims and we respect each other and we do it through travel. It's a very good equalizer, you know, yeah. and a force for peace. And that is my story to share, you know. <laughs> Have you had any funny incidents like you can share with us? Like of you stumbled across some remote town somewhere and then they realized you're Muslims and any strange encounters? Ah, you know, I many, many strange encounters, right? Like I said, you know, in Asia, I'm the minority, right? Because I'm Chinese Muslim. You know, sometimes when I go to the mosque, people ask, are you lost? You know? <laughs> I'm not lost, dude. I'm here to pray. <laughs> you should say, yeah, I'm lost, I'm an yeah, explorer. Yeah, I'm an explorer. <laughs> no, but you get that quite a lot in Asia, you know, especially in Malaysia and Indonesia because you, you are quite a rare breed. But when you go to China, so especially in some places in China, like Xi'an or maybe Ningxia, you know, those places are filled with Chinese Muslims and they look exactly like me. So for a moment, it's like, it's like finding other mutants, you know, like, you know, you're like, go in there and like, oh, no, I'm not alone. And they look at you like, why are you not praying? You know, one of the, the, the most beautiful places I've seen is actually in Xi'an, the, the Grand Mosque of Xi'an, you know. Um, it, it looks like a Chinese temple. If you have ever, you know, opportunity to see it, right? It looks like a Chinese wow. temple. It has not, it doesn't even look like a mosque, you know, like your minarets. It has no minarets. So then it has Chinese calligraphy and everything like that. And also like plaques and carvings in the stone where, you know, disciples and descendants actually wrote all the way to China and they, they, they commemorate the, their history. But there's a lot of history and even Muslims themselves, I feel we don't really understand our own history and we don't see how diverse it is and how beautiful it is that we are Muslims, but we are made out of nations and tribes, you know. That hasn't fully sunk yeah. in for a lot of Muslims, you know. So I think travel does a lot of that. And, you know, yeah. it allows you to broaden your horizons. Right? Even as yeah, a Muslim, looking at your own religion. It sure does, yeah. 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 Going back to your journey to Islam, do you have any tips on some of the things you've done in your transition to the Islamic way of life that made it a bit more easier? Like some hacks, <laughs> new Muslim hacks? New Muslim <laughs> hacks. I think the first thing I would advise is don't, you know, like what my teacher would advise, you know, don't take it so hard on yourself to be like the perfect Muslim. It is a process. Like, you know, like people, some people say, oh, you know, mm. you're converted. You need to pray five times a day. You definitely need to do it. You need to do this. You need to do that. But, but the fact is, you know, the fact is, it's a journey for everyone. 
And it's not like a flick of the switch, you turn it on or turn it off, you know. It's, it's really a journey. And it is yeah. difficult. It is a habit. It's a ritual. You know, it is an internal thing. And it needs time, you know, to grow. But you need to set active steps to reaching that goal. Like, for example, I remember, and I won't be embarrassed to say that at the beginning, right, I didn't pray five times a day. I prayed one time a day. I told myself, if I can do one, I can do two. And if I can do two, I can do three. And yeah. four and five, you know. And then later on, it just, it just uh, becomes a habit. So, I, I think yeah. it's one of the things that converts you know really need to take it easy and really easy and it's like wearing a shoe you know it takes time you know so that's one of the first things the second thing is you know there are a lot of things on the internet right now you know and verify your sources you know not everything you find online is good for you and i would say that you know so really think about those things and really drink deeply you know into those mm-hmm. kind of knowledge and tap on the right tools that's two main things i would say you know yeah, and it's really interesting, um, your point of view. That advice goes to any Muslim, right? Yeah, yes. Like, even me at a young age, when I was, um, you know, born in a Muslim family, you know, grew up as a Muslim, then you, you still struggle with them, even as you're being brought up, you know, like trying to take those steps, to having that struggle, going on that yeah. journey. And it's really interesting to hear from your mm. point of view, you know, that it's, it's a similar struggle for everybody. Mm. You're, you're all in it together, and I guess just helping each other, right? Yeah, it is. Obviously, it's another way of traveling also you're traveling internally within your mind you know like there is a journey for you, you know, yeah. it's tough <laughs> that's a good way that's, that's a good link to travel yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it is hey guys we're just going to pause very quickly for Mikhail's inspiring story to tell you about our new exciting collaboration with LaunchGood together with LaunchGood we will highlight a cool fundraising campaign that is happening on the LaunchGood website right now Today's fundraising campaign comes from South Africa. My name is Ibrahim Fahed. I'm the founder of Benay, which is a tech company which focuses on providing innovative products, solutions and experiences to the Muslim consumer. Benay is a tech company creating fun and educational products for the Muslim community. One of Benay's products is Benay Blocks, a fun toy for kids to better understand the Quran. Now Benay have an exciting new project. Our current project that we're running is Benay Games. We've created a board game about everyday Muslim problems. The board game is called The Middle Path. We explore issues like racial and gendered stereotypes, religious intolerance, all of these issues that Muslims experience on a day-to-day basis, both within the Muslim community, as well as external issues such as Islamophobia. So we try to address all of these issues within the game in sort of like a super fun, hilarious, strategy-based board game. We've involved an artist from the UK. She goes as Muslamic on Instagram. She's drawn every single card so that it's both an artistic masterpiece as well as a hilarious comic. What's in the box and how does the game work? In the box you get a board game, you get player pieces and you get a deck of cards. The way the game works is each player gets a player piece, they put their piece on the board and then you start playing cards. And you get different types of cards, you have attack cards, you have defend cards. Uh, There's a bunch of other types of cards as well such as good deed cards or deflect cards. How can I beat Foz and win the game? Your aim is to get to the center of the board, which is the middle part. At the same time, avoid being knocked off at either ends, either liberalized or radicalized. Sorry, Ibrahim, if I wanted to put Anis on the liberalized path and take him far away from the middle path, how can I do that? You're going to have to play attack cards in the liberal direction and hope he doesn't have 
the right defend cards or the deflect cards. So if you keep on playing those attack cards, you can pretty much put him in a situation where he's going to get enraged and then he'll end up being a liberal extremist, in which case he is out of the game. But he deflects a lot, so I might struggle with that. Yeah. <laughs> How can people find out more and help support the campaign you're doing with LaunchGood? Okay, so we're crowdfunding on LaunchGood right now. Alhamdulillah, we've just passed the 70% mark, but we've just got 11 days left. So hopefully we can get that other 29% in these last 11 days. And we're hoping that your listeners will come out and support us. So to find the campaign, you just go to www.launchgood.com and then you can search for The Middle Park. Or alternatively, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Binay Games. That's B-I-N-A-Y-E Games. Awesome. And when does the campaign finish? It finishes on the 8th of November. So there you have it, guys. You've got until 8th of November. Take part, put your order in, support the campaign, and let's get this game going. Awesome. So, back to the show now. Mikhail, Havilah Wotravid started before you converted to Islam. Could you tell us a bit about, you know, the initial idea, the spark? How did it all happen? So it started as a itch, you know, I would say. Like in 2015, I've really been dating for uh, my my current wife for like quite some time. You know, I was like thinking, you know, I, I haven't had like non-halal stuff for quite some time. You know, like like pong or everything like that. So like it's been like three years since then. Like, I stopped in 2013 or something like that. So I've been eating out with my with my wife. So, you know, no alcohol and everything like that. So so I personally felt the need also, you know, like, hey, you know, I understand, you know, even before being a Muslim, I already understood there is a need here. And the funny thing is that we we were all working my first company. My first company, we, we empl- I employed my wife and also her best friend. Together we were working, we were in digital company, right? So, so we're thinking like, we can't always do services. There must be some product that we own. And if we were to dedicate our lives to work on one product, what would we be? Then we thought this would be a perfect opportunity because you know, it not only satisfies our own personal needs, but I think there is a market for this. So I remember, you know, the day that we decided to found the company, a few days before that, there was a lot of conversation. My wife was like, no, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur. It's difficult for me yeah, I'm very worried you know I want a stable job and things like that and the best friend also like yeah you know it's something new for me but to me it's like my third rodeo right so it's a bit more you know convincing them to, to jump on board lah. but back then thinking uh, we were crazy man like you quit our jobs to do this it's crazy you know I would never do this you know right now but you know, I, I guess I guess along the way we were blessed in many ways, like really, really many ways. And we were very, very desperate times for us. Because, you know, we are a company itself, we we are a profit company, but we do dawa through travel. So it's very unheard of, you know. You I you either are a social entity or you are not, or you you know, it's very rare to find a company dedicated for a good cause and the spread of good values of Islam while making profits, you know. So it's very hard to strike their balance. And I, I remember for the first two years, it was so difficult. No one trusted us. We had people coming in, you know, our blog, our users and things like that. But brands didn't trust us. They didn't understand who we were, what our values were, you know. But alhamdulillah, Allah gave us a lot of blessings along the way, you know. And, and we met very, very nice people, met people who trusted us and really sustained us along the way. So I guess that was our, our, our story. It was very, very tough at the beginning. Then it got better and now we're scaling up to even more difficult things, you know. So it never ends. It just gets more and more difficult. <laughs> One of the things um, you mentioned, and it's not something that we touch upon a lot of times because we always hear the success stories of, of the brands and stuff like that. Yeah. 
But like you mentioned that there were difficult times when you first started off and, you know, the three of you quit your jobs to start it. Like, could you like just for the listeners to get a bit of like a reality check? Because, you know, sometimes starting your own business is not all a bed of roses. Yeah. Like, you know, can you like describe some of those difficult times that you experienced? You know, it's not um, not always a bed of roses. It will never be a bed of roses. I think the mindset has to change. It will always be difficult, you know, but that shouldn't stop you because there is something mm-hmm. bigger. You see, you know, you see a pop go behind the rainbow, right? So question is how do you get there, you know? I guess, you know, it's a typical startup kind of, you know, questions that normal startups also ask, like funding, how do you get started? How do you get traction? How do you acquire users? You know, how do you get revenue and those kind of things? But it's even more acute when you are Islamic startup because not all brands yeah. are made available to you. Not all actions are you know, make sense for Islam. And therefore, you will, might not do it. Like, tomorrow, if, you know, something bad for Muslims come and say, hey, you know, I want to advertise, I will say no. You know, and that means mm-hmm. that you don't have that revenue stream. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's even more acutely difficult when you're working, you know, with your wife and her best friend. <laughs> <laughs> really, 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 there are a lot of emotions that you're play, right? So, yeah, yeah, so, so, so I'll say, right, it's like playing chess, right, with uh, one eye and, you know, while doing a handstand. <laughs> Yeah, that is exactly how, how I feel. Normal startups uh, just play the chess, you know, just, just the chess, you know, sit down and play the chess. Maybe a Muslim startup with your <laughs> wife and your and your her best friend. It's playing chess with your black half half an eye on a handset. <laughs> <laughs> or, or in Asia we have a saying that you, you ride a tiger blind. Riding a blind tiger on his back. <laughs> I was gonna say I can't wait until she listens to this. <laughs> She, she knows, she knows. You know, there, there are a lot of tough conversations we have to make, like, you know, because you, you have a, a few dimensions, right? You have the business that needs to grow and it is already very tough. Then you stack on your personal life, which inevitably get rolled in with, with the startup itself. And then her best friend gets rolled in also. But I, I, I can say it's infinitely rewarding, this experience, because it really tests you to your limit and you know, like, oh, you know, this person gets triggered by this or you don't take this approach, be a better person. You must remember that you are your husband before the CEO or founder, you know. So so these kind of things keep you rooted and it reminds yeah. you what you get out in the morning for and why are you both mm-hmm. working on this thing, you know, because there is something beautiful out of this, you know. So I guess, you know, although I would say, you know, it's a very difficult challenge, you know, and sometimes all entrepreneurs will cry at sometime late in that night, right? There will be one day they will cry, like, oh, you know, everything. But it's strengthened by faith. You know, I remember it was one Ramadan and I was so, so down, right? Like, I remember every day I was praying for the same thing, like, oh, I just want to tie through this, you know. Allah, please give me blessings, you know, and, and some form of recipe so we can pass this very difficult place. I pray every single day for the same thing, for the whole Ramadan, you know. And it did come to pass, you know. So I think it strengthens your faith. So, so he gave you this difficulty, right, Allah. And he gave you this set of things. It's not necessarily what you want, yeah. but it is definitely what you need, you know. That's amazing. Was there like a particular moment in your journey when you said, yes, we've made it. Like, this is it, you know. It's it, that big moment. What was that? I'm Asian, right? So I'm Chinese especially. So we, we are usually like very Confucius uh, thinking. So there will never be that moment. <laughs> so it's very philosophical. There will never be that moment. Very Japanese thinking, you know, like, there will never be that moment because all moments are singular and also there is also progressive, you know. But I know, I remember we sealed our first contract and, and the first brand that we convinced to cater their services for better for Muslims and all uh, Muslims, right, is uh, KLM and Air France. 
that group itself came to us and said, hey, I like what you're doing. And there was a Muslim man who was working there and he's still working there and still our client. Very nice guy. He said, you know, I believe in what you do and you guys create high quality content. I want to advertise on your brand. You know, and I want to show that Air France and KRM is ready to, to ferry Muslims to, for their travels. And even recently, they, you know, they, they made all flights coming out from, I think, Malaysia and also Indonesia halal. Wow. So you don't have to go there and yeah. select you know, Muslim meal and get curry. You can eat everything you want. You know? and so basically, you know, we, we, we work with brands on discount levels where they really want to find a way to engage Muslims. So they come to us and say, hey, you know, I want a different service or different communication for Muslims. How do I do that? That is authentic, relevant, and good for Muslims. So they come to us for, for those kind of purposes, you know. And KLM was one of the first brands that came. Yeah. So that's one, one, one of the turning points. Yeah, as what's interesting is that at the start, you said one of your challenges with companies, big companies like that were very cautious about the Muslims yeah. in the marketplace. How did you overcome that? I guess it's from the first case that you actually do, right? So KRM and Air France was actually, alhamdulillah, a very, very good case study for us. And we did a very, very good job. And we showed that to the next person. Hey, you know, everyone's talking about Muslims and scary and everything like that. But, you know, you can do this. And in Asia itself, and I think all over the world, there's a rising, you know, Muslims themselves, a youngest population, you know, of, across all regions, right? And it's faster growing. Also, the income levels are rising, especially in Southeast Asia, where Indonesia has a booming middle class, and Malaysia as well. The, the appetite to spend is increasing. So the brands are driven by economics. They are afraid to jump in for the last 10 years. You know, and finally, they see a brand that who has managed to marry you know, commercial value and also approach Muslims in a way that speaks out to their identity as Muslims. So they never found a way and you know, also agency to be able to daring enough to be able to do it but of course we're crazy enough to do it so, <laughs> so, so we, we took that first step and, and you know Alhamdulillah it, it spiraled now and, and more brands came in and you know I'm very happy last year that Visa you know Visa is one of our clients now and supporting us in the Southeast Asia region you know and all banks will have access to our content so I know we're on the right track because all these things are coming in but there will never be the end you know yeah. <laughs> So from, from a, a user's point of view, say I'm a Muslim traveler and I come onto your website, what am I expecting to see? Hmm. So it depends where you land, right? Some people land on app, you know, some people land on web, things like that. So if you're on the web itself, right, you'll see all our latest articles and things like that. And also an opportunity for you to search for it. So we have, do have filters for, you know, like very common things that we get asked a lot, like honeymoon destinations. A lot of UK people like to go Maldives, right? So when they go to Maldives, <laughs> like, oh, you know, like where do I eat? You know, which hotel do I stay in? Which one has a private pool, you know, and, you know, like a mosque on the island and things like that. So typically yeah. you don't find this kind of information elsewhere. You don't go to Agu and they tell you there's a monster you know, or they tell you, you know, all this yeah, thing. Yeah. you don't but on our side when you decide you want to go on a honeymoon or beach vacation or anything you find this kind of information so everything is the same you know it's introducing that villa everything but it has a it's, a, it's an extra layer to help you ease your mind, you know. I don't have to look for this. I don't have to call the hotel staff because we did it, you know. So this is just an example of the kind of things we do. So we do introductions to cities also. Like, a lot of our things are like, okay, you know, you can go to Tokyo. You can have, you know, like, halal sushi and all these things that are certified or whatever it is. And then you can go to, like, this mega temple, you know, and see how people... That what the culture is there, and then you can go down the river, watch, see the cherry blossoms, and things like that. So, so everything is like 
a normal travel publication, but it has an extra layer that makes you know it appeal to our Muslim identity. So I guess that that's it, lah. And also we got like other functions that we recently placed. Like there's an AI chatbot that we that one of our staff here named Sophia. She won some contest and she got to name it. It's called Sophia. You know, it's just <laughs> Sophia number two because it's version two, and we're gonna upgrade it. You know. So, so it, it helps you, you know, you just ask it and you'll just find stuff for you. What kind of stuff can you ask the bot? You know, like, give me suggestions. Or like, I, like, I want to find more information on Seoul and okay. you know, where to eat, where to stay and just pull out relevant articles or points. It's fairly new. We, we did it in collaboration with Microsoft. So it's a fairly new project. It's still a little, not so smart because the, the machine needs to learn, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we're getting there, you know. Yeah, that'll be really yeah. cool. Like if I can imagine if I'm in like somewhere in, in the city and I say, hey, Sophia, find me a restaurant in this city. And then yeah. you could find me a few options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we ultimately plan it to be, you know, if you guys play Halo, right? So it's like Cortana, yeah. right? Of course, yeah. not so smart as Cortana. Cortana is crazy, right? So, <laughs> so, so, so I want to reach a stage where you don't have to tell, based on who you are, you tell me like three questions, you know, I can roughly guess where you're going. And I can bring you the things rather than you searching for it. So that's the ultimate aim of, you know, applying artificial intelligence, machine learning to, to our technology startup, you know. Yeah, that's a really good function. Yeah, yeah it I is. I really yeah. like that. That's a great vision to have. You could come to my city. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing I saw on your website is that you have a forum. And I think that's really good because, you know, when you use like TripAdvisor or something like that, yeah, it's very good. TripAdvisor is very useful. But sometimes you need that um, Muslim content specifics. And I see that you guys have a forum and then, and, you know, you can ask those type of questions on that forum, which is quite useful, I found. So I, I think we, we're spending a lot of, um, we, we are beginning to realize that we are in command or rather than command, right? We're directly influencing millions and millions of videographers, million, million, and millions of writers. And those are come in the phone of anyone who owns, who read our publication or exposed to our publication, who own a smartphone. You think yeah. about it, right? They are your videographers and your writers. Why do I need to have like a team of 13 people writing for millions of people? It doesn't work. You know, so we are investing in UGC technology. It's a long process, you know. So UGC is user-generated content. So, you know, we, we are relying on the wisdom of the crowd to curate and also protect the uh, community itself. And the forum is just one expression of it. So the forum, you know, we left it there as an experiment. It seems like people are really looking for like people to travel with and things like that. We're still finding out how... how to tinker with it to make it safe, but most of the developments will actually now reside on the app itself, where we put everything there. You know, so a lot of developments there in the next few months. And you know, one thing, um, one thing I really, really love about the company is is what you stand for. And you've mentioned it a couple of times. And you've got a quote on your site. It's called "Travel through the land and observe how we began creation." Yeah, this is the Quran. Yeah. And then Allah will produce the final creation. Indeed, Allah over all things is competent. Yes. And that's, you know, that's your vision and that's what you're trying to create. And it's, yes. it's very, very powerful. It's an amazing quote to have. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. That, that quote speaks to us, right? Because when we meet, like we, we just had an Indonesian like meetup like a couple of weeks back. So Indonesia is a big base for us. So when we called for the meetup, 128 people actually applied for to come, but we could only meet 15 people. So we... We went to a cafe, you know, after that, then we sat down and we chatted with them, you know, and we realized all of them had different experiences. Like in Malaysia, you know, we did the same thing and we got people who are young, you know, travel a lot and they work for the United Nations, you know, on, on different projects, they're Muslims. So we see the spirit of younger Muslims flowing out from, from this website, you know, and, and these properties that we own. And people who are truly travelers, you know, and they, they don't want to just go there and take off some 
you know, from a list like, oh, I've been to Mount Fuji, take, you know, I've been to the Eiffel Tower, take, you know, and take some photos and go home. There is an increasing need to relate yourself to the world. Like, what is your role mm-hmm. in this world as a person? And you find it out through travel. And also at the same time, what is your identity as a Muslim? You know, so people forget that we are actually citizens as much as we are Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is one of the things that people have to discover when they travel, you know. And they will ultimately find their answer, you know. Yeah. Well, one of the things I want to mention for listeners who have probably not come across your, your website or your apps, it's really cool. It's really fun to use. Your content is amazing. It's not like those cheesy, typical type of uh, <laughs> Muslim type of guides. Or anything. It's actually like really useful, yeah. fun and, you know, things you can just pick up and your, especially your itineraries. Yeah. You know, you have these different city itineraries and anyone can use it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it looks really good as well. Yeah. So, so itineraries are actually, you're, you're right, you know, itineraries are one of our most popular things on our publication, you know. So, but there's a funnier thing that you mentioned, right? So, there's a, there's a very interesting point that you mentioned. You mentioned that, you know, for anyone. And that's true because... We do have a population of non-Muslims coming to our side, so which shows you know, a lot of uh, religious tolerance and a lot of understanding. Because I do a fair bit of mentorship, right? So I actually went to a school one day in Singapore. So after that, um, there was this like group, girls' school, uh, a convent, you know, Catholic convent. So one of the girls said, "I know your website." And I was like, "How on earth would you know my website? You know, you're not even Muslim." <laughs> so, so, but it was very presumptuous of me because she, 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 so, so, so she said. Um, there came a very beautiful story because she said, you know what, I have five very good Muslim friends in my convent school and they study there and we are very good friends and because I know their dietary restrictions, halal and everything, I was trying to find a birthday cake for myself that I can share with the rest of my classmates and when I was searching for it, I found your site and I made the cake because of your recommendation. So I think that's a powerful message, you know, because... Um, it should transcend between, you know, beyond Muslims, you know. And that's the whole point of our side, right? So peace between Muslims and non-Muslims cannot happen if it's just Muslim or it's just non-Muslims. So in my company itself, there are Muslims, there are non-Muslims, there are Hindus, there are whoever it is that believes in this pie-in-the-sky idea like that we can create peace and are crazy enough to really push for it. Uh, because it is a very big goal, you know. Yeah, so, so that's the, the story. <laughs> wow, that's a really cool story. It's very powerful. I like Alhamdulillah. that. Yeah, it's very good. So, Mikhail, let's talk traveling trends. Yeah. So, what do you want to know? <laughs> what kind of trends are you seeing with travelers? There, there are a few things, right? No one ever did a sociological like report or like you know study of this, but this is what I think. You know, in Asia itself, you know, it's the highest density of Muslims. You got like I would consider like India as one of the biggest. I'm gonna overtake Indonesia soon. So Indonesia has the highest density. Then you got Malaysia. We are all surrounded by Muslims, right? So this whole, whole peninsula. So Islam is a very common topic for all Asians. You know, it's not like you don't know who Muslims are or what Islam is. So, but everybody has like a rough idea. So the first thing is, you know, we are surrounded by Muslims. All brands, no matter from Nike to whoever, you know, like Sony or Uniqlo, has to have a Muslim angle. Because their customers, 20 or 30% of them will be Muslims. So that's the economic uh, reason behind it, you know, and we are blessed to be able to do that. The second thing is we've got to regimes. So in this whole region, right, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, or Brunei, or whatever, there is an improvement in government 
you know, for all these countries. And they are advancing technologically, economically, social welfare and things like that. So there is a bulging middle class, right, that is growing across Asia. You know, and a lot of them are Muslims. So Indonesia itself, you know, under the Jokowi regime, has created a huge, you know, bulging middle class. Now they have a bit more disposable incomes than their fathers, and they are millennials, and they're thinking like, oh my goodness, you know, the world is so big, I have the internet now, I want to go places. So all this, you spiral together, results in a push for Muslims, you know. So three years before this, we already saw, it's just that now that big brands are starting to pick up. You see Nike releasing like hijabi wear. You see yeah. Uniqlo having a Hana Tajima line, you know, from modest wear. You know, all these are signs, you know, that, that you know, there is something big about this economy. And I would, I'll point it to two, these two main reasons. The density, the government, the internet also you have to play. So these are some of the reasons. Alhamdulillah, it's great to hear that. So tell us like a Muslim-friendly destination that typically that you see gets overlooked. I would say it's like Maldives. Yeah, especially people in the Asia, you know, like they don't really know that Maldives is a Muslim country. That's yeah. the first thing, you know. It is an Islamic country. That's the first thing. Because nobody would think of that. You, you think of bikinis, you think of champagne, you think of like beaches, <laughs> yeah. you know, with Caucasians and everything. But the fact is that majority of them, the stuff that I've been there, uh, Alhamdulillah, twice. And every time I go there, you know, I see like all the stuff are Muslim, like most of them. And, you know, there's a mosque and you hear the Friday prayers and everything like that. So I, I don't know, you know, like there's a lot of communication to bring in the Caucasians, but increasingly we're working with like hotel chains and resorts, right, to bring in Muslims there and to say that, hey, you know, these places are already you know, private for you, you know, you don't have to worry and you can just chill and relax. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the places, you know, in terms of like most overlooked, I, I guess like it extends to Sri Lanka. I think Sri Lanka has a lot of things to offer for Muslims so a lot of people don't really know. And I guess, you know, if you're talking about uh, places, I, I for the West, I really, really want more people to know about Siad. You know, Xi'an history is rich, you know, and the reasons why Muslims settled there was a truce between the, the barbarians and the, China, uh, the Chinese empire, you know. You know, so that was the reason that, and there's so much history and they are all Chinese Muslims. And they came from, from the Middle East, you know, and rode all the way down. You know? So there's so much history there. And I think a lot of the people in the West especially don't really know that story, you know, of Chinese Muslims. So, you know, more people should focus on it. And in your interaction with your Muslim travellers that you come across your platform, do you see any trends at the moment that a lot of these Muslim travellers are, you know, uh, adopting? I, I, think, I think one of the things, like, you know, on a very meta level, right, Muslims now want to participate to immerse themselves in travel. So, like, you know, our, our, one of our major topics next week, right, at ITB Asia would be experiences, the value experiences, and what role does it play in Muslim travel? So, we argue right, and research and also focus groups show that Muslims really want to travel to immerse themselves. And by immersing themselves, there are multiple levels, right? First is within the country, the culture, everything like that. Second is we've got the food. So, they want to travel to the country like Iceland and everything and experience whatever the locals do without feeling they need to compromise on Islam. It's easy to, to say that statement, but it's actually very difficult to, to undertake. You know, it's a very big undertaking. It will mean that a country ha- has to have infrastructure, not only have infrastructure like prayer spaces and halal food sources, but rather also be able to communicate this with users. So they must be able to find it. So I, I guess that the rising trend is, you know, people are traveling to find, discover themselves and governments trying to make it easier for them to find this information. That's really interesting. So one of the things we went to ask, well, have you got any cool, interesting travel stories that you could share with us or any cool places that you visit? 
I would definitely say my experience in Xi'an. You know, I went to the temple, right? So I, I went with my dad, actually. So, so he said, okay, you know, he's not Muslim. So he said, okay, just do whatever you want. Go and pray. I'll just wait here for you. So, so he, he had a tour of the and then he sat outside, you know, with the... So I was walking around the grounds, you know, of, of the temple, which was... Not temple, but the mosque, you know, which looks like a temple. It's huge. So I was walking, walking, walking. Then I saw this Chinese man wave to me. Then I went to him and he said in Mandarin, but his Mandarin, the, the people there don't really speak the, the same kind of mainland Mandarin. So so they said, I solat? Question mark, you know, like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I said, yes, if you can show me, you know. So he brought me to the, the place to take wudu and everything. He gave me a towel and he was, we couldn't mm. communicate that well. Although I can speak Mandarin, he didn't speak Mandarin. So he showed me all his traveler notes. It's very strange, you know, he had a euro and he had a, like other currency and said, oh, different travelers come here to pray. And then sometimes they leave something with me, like the souvenir and things like that. And it shows how diverse it is. And, and for that one moment, I felt the warmth, you know, he gave me a towel. He invited me to pray and said, you come here, stay here, you know, and everything will be settled for you. I, I never felt that kind of warmth in a very long time. You know, it's almost like welcoming something home. Yeah, and that was a very, the thing that really stuck with me. Other than the Japanese, you know, the, the had to explain, <laughs> you know, that, that is another story I would tell, you know, so, so, so that, that kind of experiences are rare. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting here, this is like the second time you've described that where, you know, there's a deep connection that when you travel, a Muslim yeah. finds a Muslim, there's already a connection. Yeah, there. it's a brotherhood, exactly, right? Yeah, okay. and it's, um, yeah, it's further kind of enhancing the reason you should travel, you should get out there. Mm. Um, what about Anisio? Have you got any cool stories that you could share? <laughs> so there's this one story I share all the time which also always gets people surprised so I think it was back in I think 2007 Foz we went to Cuba oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, there's a group of us that traveled to Cuba and within that group there was a group of us that got kidnapped huh <laughs> what <laughs> and I was in that group Foz wasn't in that group I was a sensible one Anise was keen on getting lost <laughs> yeah in our keenness and getting lost me and three others we ended up getting kidnapped in Cuba at night time and we were put into a back of a, a larder car which had no door handles in the back and uh, we got driven we got driven around the city in the forest and we say we saw you know that was the end of it that was the end for us and then uh, two hours later they dropped us off in some like abandoned house area and we paid them some money it wasn't much actually it was actually a very cheap kidnapping experience <laughs> it was like 20 pounds each three pounds each 20, 20. 20 pounds each. Wow, that is a 20 cheap... pounds each. That is... Yeah. <laughs> cheap ransom. <laughs> they even stopped for food and didn't offer us any. <laughs> My God. In the end, when we got dropped off this abandoned area, we were really angry and we were like really kicking ourselves. Why did we even get into this car? Blah, blah, blah. And then we finally found a taxi. We took a taxi back to the hotel. We had no idea where we were. And the taxi literally turned the corner and we were back to that hotel. So we got driven around for two hours and we got dropped off some abandoned area, which happened to be like like less than a minute walking distance for two hours. Yeah, he's just going around and around, right? It's, it's a tactic, huh? but probably just gay. <laughs> to this day, nobody can figure out why on earth did you get into that car? There was four of us and we all na naively walked into that. How you walked into the car? <laughs> yeah, we didn't even get shoved in. We actually willingly went in. <laughs> and yeah, but nobody lets him forget it. Everyone always makes fun of these guys for doing that. Yeah, but it's a cool story to tell at parties. Nah, that's nice. Uh, Alhamdulillah, you guys are safe, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But besides that, Cuba is a beautiful place. It's amazing. You should visit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, apart from that, it was a really good place. And going out of town, there's some really nice beaches. Yeah. Um, people are generally friendly. Just don't go with Anise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard so much about it, right? Um, so let's move to our tip section. For anyone planning a holiday during the holiday season, any advice on where they should go? I always advise this, right? It's like, where you should go is like tons of places in the world. And the first question is, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say we have five days. Five days. And where are you departing from? Because like, you know, it really depends, right? So the next question is your budget and everything else. But more importantly, what I think, you know, beyond the, the normal traveler stuff is, you know, what do you want to experience? Like people don't think about that you know, when they travel, they say, okay, you know, because Paris is so beautiful, I want to go to Paris. But it's not the point. The point is, what do you want to learn in Paris? Like, what do you want to feel in Paris? Like, I'm going to Paris at the end of the year, and after Portugal, and somewhere in Spain, Barcelona, and things like that. And to me, the reason why I'm going there is because I want to sit down and have a coffee. <laughs> you know, so, so it's very strange, right? Like, strange man, you know, why are you talking about this kind of things? But if you piece all these things together, right, the experience is worth a million bucks. Because I can never have it wherever you're sitting right now, mm. you know. So, so to me, is to live that kind of experience in my head. So the question that is very important, you know, where, what do you want to feel? Yeah. Because people don't feel anymore, you know. People just take pictures, they just like other people, so they just thumbs up, LOL, and don't even smile, you know, when they text, you know. <laughs> so people have forgotten how to how to feel, you know. So <laughs> that's really interesting because yeah, I've never thought of it like that. But you're a hundred percent right because yeah, it's like what do you want to yeah. do? Like when you're there, like you can come out with all these buzz destinations yeah. and really exciting names of places, but actually, what do you want to do there? And and that's the key, I guess. That's a really good point. I, I think to qualify again, you know, I, I think maybe I'm Asian, more Confucius and things like that, but it's not doing. It is the feel, you know, what are you feeling? You know, it, it needs to come from the heart. Like, like I want to go Iceland. A lot of people say, you want to go Northern Lights. Okay, good. You want to see the Northern Lights. But how do you think you'll feel when you see the Northern Lights? Or how do you think you'll feel when you don't see the Northern Lights? Because there's a half, half, half chance that you will never see it. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> people are not prepared for that, you know. So it's like, I think a lot of the, the Northern Lights experience has got to do with getting there also. Because it takes like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, snowmobile or something like that to get there. Are you ready to prepare to embrace everything you know, that it has to offer? And maybe there will be a payoff, maybe they're not. But everything that ever happens in the trip will be an experience itself. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. You mentioned Paris, right? So I've been to Paris twice. The first time I went to Paris, I went to typical touristy stuff, went to the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre Museum, and, you know, all that kind of yeah. stuff, ticked it off. The second time I went to Paris, I hired one of those bikes, the city bikes they can hire. Yeah. And we basically, we just rode around. We had no agenda, nothing. We just cycled to different neighborhoods, and all we did was kept stopping at those coffee shops and you know having the croissant and coffee and that was a much better experience for me than the first time around yeah so in japanese there's this saying right ichigo ichi e which means everything in this world only happens once and it will never repeat again so everything is unique so yeah <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool ichigo ichi e that's a good good quote yeah so if, if you want to experience future tech and stay fit you can come to Fozland. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you definitely have to, you know. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll be traveling through our minds, right? Like, like kind of like Black Mirror thing. You just put something on. Then you can have the, all this experience and nobody has to travel anymore. And airlines will sell you like $5 per experience. 
Yeah, true. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally believe that you happen. <laughs> so, Mikhail, I have a question. Yeah, I have a few days off in Christmas. I'm going to be flying from Middle East. My wife and I are trying to rack up brains to see where we want to go. We're inclined towards somewhere in Asia. Recommend me a city. Okay, how many days do you have again? Five, is it? Five days. Five days. Okay, if you want to play it safe, I don't know, like maybe, maybe. Give me the safe option and the unsafe option. Okay, I've been okay, kidnapped, so I'm cool with unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> if you're talking about Asia, then the safest place will be Singapore, Malaysia, and probably uh, Indonesia. So specifically, like Kuala Lumpur, Singapore, and uh, Jakarta. So those are the safer options, you know, and they, they you know, it's very Muslim friendly. You just can generally get a lot of city city life and things like that. And in Jakarta, you, you know, that you get to experience the jams, which is also part of the experience, you know. The, the jams there are crazy, you know. So those are some of the things you can do. And there's a lot of international food you can have. Everything's halal. So those are the safe options. Then we talk about the not so safe options. You know, the middle middle options, which is a bit more adventurous, totally different from whatever culture you came from. I would say Hong Kong, Seoul, or Tokyo. Those experiences are different and recently they've become very, very Muslim friendly. So you can find a lot of halal food. You can just go to my site, you just click it, you know, everything you find, you know. So recently cool. those those offer very, very different experiences in terms of culture. If you really want to soak in, you know, like the cosmopolitan, very anime, very, very Japanese kind of world, you go to Tokyo. And then you go to Osaka, Osaka or Kyoto, you know, they've got tons of halal food there. If you really want to feel like you know, uh, a pulse of Asia and possibly China, you go to Hong Kong. You know, Hong Kong is very cosmopolitan. And I remember, if I remember correctly, two to three million Muslims staying there as uh, workers or domestic or professionals or whatever. They, they really have a population there. And the Chinese food there is halal. So it's totally different. You know? wow. Then you have uh, Seoul, which is Korean, like K-Wave and kind of thing. I don't know whether you guys are into it, but you know, Korean Wave, <laughs> very big in here, you know. The most extreme examples, and more exciting examples I would give is probably Vietnam. You know, Vietnam, Laos, uh, Cambodia, that, that region, you know. So, so those are emerging places that I would recommend. And I like the Hong Kong, Hong Kong option. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. All right, cool. Um, so we're going to move to our quickfire round. So we're going to ask you some questions yeah, and, sure. you know, just say what comes to the mind. So I'll start. Your top three travel gadgets. My phone, definitely. Sometimes I, I prefer to have a wireless router when I travel, you know, and sometimes I don't, you know, so it depends, you know, if I'm going Maldives, I probably won't, I, I don't even bother, you know, so it depends. So that's the second thing. The third thing, I probably my prayer mat. Oh, nice. I did that. How many times it's so important here? We, I actually have this prayer mat. It's very awesome. I, I actually met this Muslim who is in Japan, who created this origami-like uh, prayer mat. It's called Takva. Okay, so, so this is a plug because I think it's that awesome. <laughs> it, it folds so nicely that the inside doesn't get dirty. Only the outside wow. gets dirty. So it folds very nicely and you can pack it up and just bring it over. So it's one of the most important things. What, what's the name of the origami mat? Uh, Takva. T-A-K-V-A, if I'm not wrong. We're going to put that yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. And he's, what's your top travel gadget that you would take with you? It's not really a gadget. But I pack my foam roller uh, so I can get myself a personal massage oh, right. in my hotel room. That's a good one. What are you? Um, so recently, I got an AeroPress. And since I started having coffee with an AeroPress, it's so small and tiny. You could take it anywhere you want. Ah. I take it everywhere now. I, I saw it in Hong Kong, actually. Yeah, they're, they're really cool. And they, you can tell the difference in the coffee. All right, all right. Cool. So the next quick fire question, Mikhail, is your favorite stress relieving activity? I actually play a lot of games. 
you know, but recently it's been less because I've let, I I just got a cat. So it depends. No, I, <laughs> I don't really know where to put it, you know, playing with my cat or, or, or playing with Both. <laughs> okay. So what game are you playing right now? Uh, I play a, a lot of Overwatch. I'm waiting for Fallout for, you know, those are my stress relieving activity. I, I guess another one would be actually doing martial arts. I do oh, a fair nice. bit of martial arts, you know, um, many, many years now and I really, really enjoy it. You know, It, it helps clear the mind. Yeah, you won't get kidnapped either. Uh, it depends. <laughs> you, don't, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? So if there's a gun there, you're probably... <laughs> <laughs> then, then it will be very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so recommend me a restaurant anywhere in the world. You know, there is one place in Tokyo, in Shibuya, under a bridge. Near a bridge, actually, not under, you know, called Gyumon. Gyumon means... Uh, Gate of the cow. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> There's no direct translation to Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just, it's just a uh, gate, uh, cow gate or something like that, you know. So, yeah, yeah. so, so it's run by a Pakistani man. I, I think so. If not, he's Indian. I haven't asked him, you know, but they sell halal yakiniku. So yakiniku is like grilled beef. And I've eaten quite a few like, like wagyu, halal wagyu barbecues before yakinikus in Japan. They're all very expensive. This is cheaper, but some of the experience is better. Because you have actually a, a pot, you know, a, a clay ceramic pot with charcoal inside, and you really barbecue it. Wow. You know? Other places you have like some electric grill or something. So they, they really no frills, and the cuts are not even like the most premium thing, but somehow it tastes very well. It tastes very good. What plays a part of it is that you eat with Japanese. So they have a yeah, halal version and non halal version, you know. So, so they have everything separate, you know. And, and you get the feel what it's like to, to be a Japanese. It's not like, okay, the place is free of Muslims, it's not. It's a fully operational place that invites all. And I think that would be my one of the most memorable and also one of the most recommended places, you know, simply because of the atmosphere experience. It's not because it's like Michelin grade or anything like that. The experience is great. Yeah, by that description, I'm sold. I want to go there now. Yeah, same here. Like, same here. I'm thinking about going on that trip yeah, just because of that. It's, it's really beautiful, you know, that, that place. And they are so kind, they are so warm. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Okay, and the final quick fire question is: What's one thing on your bucket list? I, so, so one of the things is that I did a bucket list in I think two thousand eight. You know, all the things I want to do. Uh, one of them is actually to go to the pyramids, but not just go to the pyramids, but scale to the top of the pyramid. You allowed? Now you are not allowed unless you got a government permit. You know, so <laughs> so, so uh, the, okay. the Europeans right in like nineteenth century and things like they used to scale and then they go around like putting their names on top of everything. So they're very pissed, you know. And then you can't do that anymore because it's not safe. But if you have a permit by the I think Ministry of Antiquity or something like that, you no, know? so you would be able to to scale it. You know, that's one of the things I want to do because I've seen it in the movie like, wow, you know, I think it was uh, the, the movie Bucket List. So, so I, I've seen it and I was like, wow, shit, I need to do this, man. <laughs> so, you know what I'm going to do? When you, when, you, when you do that, call me. I come on the same trip and when yeah. you're on the top of the pyramid, I do one of those touristy shots so my finger will be on top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to do some like Mission Impossible thing. You're going to fly in chopper and you're going to grab my hand and you're going to fly away. <laughs> into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for the typical touristy uh, pyramid shot yeah. but with my finger on top of your head. As wrong as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much for coming on. So, uh, what's for next for you? What's the, the plans for Have a Lot of Travel? Well, I did mention it previously. It, for us, it's always about enabling Muslims to travel better. 
you know, having more ex- immersive experiences, you know, the things that money cannot buy. It's not like you have money or you not have money that you can't have an experience. But, you know, it's, it's, it's all about being there. So we are always looking for this kind of experiences. And through our past, right, and, and research and you know, looking back, I think those are best found in local communities. That's why since the beginning, we've always engaged like local Muslims to provide information and things like that. So we've, we've, we've done that for a very long time. I think the next the next phase for us to be is really build platforms for to hyper growth this thing you know like every muslim should feel that hey you know i'm staying in toronto or oman or wherever it is and, and being able to give the tools to create content for other muslims to tell their story you know like, this is me i live here you may think it's like that like for example i, I guess in like, people in usa you know in asia it's crazy right people think that oh nadam you know but like it's such an inhospitable place no muslim should go there but I guess, you know, the truth couldn't be further, you know. In some places, you know, so, so you know, giving them the tools, the platforms, and the ability to create these stories to say, I'm a Muslim, this is my Umar, you know, this is my mosque, this is where I go buy halal meat, this is how I live, this is what I eat, you know. Yeah. So giving them the tools to be able to do that. Because right now on Instagram and everything else, right, you're just talking about your life narcissistically. Mm. Yeah, you're just trying to seek a certain image on yourself you know but can we flip this around and say you know hey I'm doing this okay you know it's nice to have likes and affirmation but you know what this content that I produce actually helps someone else yeah. so instead of HHWT leading this right it will be for, for the woman yeah and that's amazing and you know inshallah it inshallah. works out and it keeps growing because that's an amazing vision to have and yeah very excited to see what else you guys do thank you yeah. Um. so where can people find you and how can people get involved and get in touch with you guys uh, there's a few ways, right? So you just go onto Google, like, wherever you're from, just type HHWT, HHWT, have halal travel, or just search have halal travel, but usually that's longer. That's the first way. The other way, you can just go to you know, your browser, www.havehalalwoodtravel.com. That's our website. Or on the App Store or anywhere, you just search HWT. You know, you'll find us. Instagram, Facebook, you just find us. So, you know, if you ever feel like you want to contribute, you, know, you live in a certain country and you really want to give back and you really do have a story to tell, you can reach us uh, via one or any one of these platforms. Right? Just write to us and say, hey, I want to contribute something. And someone will definitely come attend to you. So that, that's, uh, that's it. You know, it's quite simple. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thank you for that. We have one final question before we let you go. Yes, yes. Okay, the final question is, if you could keep only one memory, what would it be? Uh, thinking of the memory, right, is, uh, it almost brings up tears in my eyes. Actually, I wouldn't say one. I'll, I'll beg for two because there are two very precious memories. Okay. The first one is actually something, a memory I had with my late mom. My mom passed away you know, from cancer some time ago. In Asia, it's a very, you know, like, oh, results-driven place. And, you know, they say, you need to score that well. You know, every Asian parent is like, ah, oh, you know, I'm Tiger Mom, you need to score well. So I, have, I, I never scored well for, you know, my math. I, I'm bad at math because I couldn't understand the applications of math. And later on, it became better, right? So I remember I got a, like 67 or 65 for my exam in primary school. So I was so embarrassed to go home. So I, I got off the bus and I, I went outside my door and I, I, I wandered for a very long time outside. I was like, then I was very scared to go in. I was scared I'll be reprimanded. And then my mom actually came out and said, found me there. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, I, I didn't score very well, you know. And, and you know, uh, I don't dare to come in. And she said, you know, no matter what, you're my son. And whatever is, this door will always be open to you. Wow. you know, that, that is 
one thing I really remember. You know, so that's one memory. So the other one I'll beg for is actually, you know, the first the first day I met my wife. You know, I remember it was uh, it's almost like the hand of God pushing you to to do something, right? So I'm never almost like never late for classes, you know. And it was my first year, I think it was like the third class of the whole semester. First semester, you know, I I went to this class and for some reason I was late and I was sitting behind. There were like two spaces beside me. It was empty. So then for some reason, you know, then after that, some people, the, the class started to fill in and my wife came and sat beside me. And somehow I felt some this strange feeling about this girl, you know. It was different, you know. So at, at that moment, I was like, wow, this could be something, you know, like this could be the person. I, I had no idea. You know, I didn't know she was Muslim. I, I didn't know who she was. But I felt something there. So these two memories, right, if I were to somehow wipe out everything in my life, right, I would hold on to these two. Sorry, like, very emotional. No, that's some beautiful memories. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you, thank you so much for sharing yeah, that. because It's an amazing thing to hear. Thank you, Dezakalan. Thank you so much for thank coming you. on. Thank you for sharing the memory. Thank you for sharing your story. You. you know, you guys are doing an amazing job. We've really enjoyed interviewing you. Thank you, thank you. I have fun too. You know. <laughs> thank you for jerking some tears. You know, <laughs> it's, been, it's been great having you on, Mikhail, and uh, wish you all the best in have halal world travel. Inshallah, may Allah reward you guys for your efforts. Thank you, thank you so much. Bye. Hey, before you hit the stop button, if you like this episode, why not head over to our podcast page at onefootinthesink.com or wherever you get your podcast from and listen to our past episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast as well. We're on Apple, Android and Spotify. Thanks for listening. If you like the episode, make sure you leave us a review or get in touch with us at info at onefootinthesync.com. Remember to head over to launchgood.com to support the Benay Middle Path board game. I'm Foz. And I'm Anise. And you've been listening to One Foot in the Sync podcast.